0: feed my spirit. I was to You are a from the gods. Walk with me. Alright, you're listening to Wait You Were Mormon with Devin Brown. I'm your host, Devin Brown. And for episode 25, we've got the very lovely Anna Porter. She opens up about her early life in Tennessee. Some struggles with depression, an eventual mission to Provo, how therapy helped her deal with PTSD from severe mission abuse, and much, much more. Once again, if you haven't already, please be sure to check out www.waityourmormon.com for access to all previous episodes, as well as all of my social links. And while you're there, why not share a favorite episode with a family member or friend? I'd appreciate it, and they might enjoy it as well. You know, enjoy the episode. All right, cool. Well, uh, just jumping into it. Can you introduce yourself? Uh, who are you? Where are you from?
1: Yeah, my name is Anna Porter. I am 22. I guess I'm from Nashville, Tennessee, but I'm currently living in Mesa. Um, I was raised in the church and. I have nine siblings, so there's ten kids with the the two parents, a very large Mormon family. (laughs) Um, Of the kids, I'm I'm the third oldest, so only four of them are out of the house. Three of them are out of the house, and one's on a mission. Um, But it's just me and my older sister that have left the church. So um, growing up in the church, though, we were raised from very young. My parents were also born, uh, I guess you say, in the covenant. They were born with parents that were also Mormon, and uh, we attended church every Sunday. We were avid participators in youth activities, and uh, just a lot of of activity going on there. I think it was a very, very, (laughs) very, I don't know how to say it, like, it was such a huge part of my childhood that it's it can sometimes be a little hard to look back and realize like whoa that was a massive percentage of my of my memory of my time mm-hmm. you know that I spent with these activities and the only friends I had were church friends and you know even school kind of seems to fade away a little bit mm-hmm. versus all the time we spent at, at church activities and, and meeting church friends and having social gatherings there too
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. Was there a large, like, church presence in in Tennessee?
1: There is and there isn't. It's pretty moderate um, compared to what I've seen in Utah, definitely not that size. Um, But there are a lot of uh, student families moving down who've either graduated from BYU and wanted to go to Vanderbilt to pursue a graduate degree or medical or doctorate, etc., so they'd be young couples who are just married, fresh out of BYU, usually BYU Provo, and either trying to have a kid or pregnant with their first kid or just had their first kid. So the, the wards and the stakes kind of shifted a lot, especially as boundaries shifted and um, larger gatherings kind of grew over time. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a pretty fairly large stake overall, but it kind of varied based on the ward.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Were there, did you go to school with like a lot of uh, Mormons as well? Because I know in the South it can be kind of weird <laughs> with, you know, Baptists and everyone in their opinions mm-hmm. toward the church. Did you ever have any any issues with that?
1: Well, a little hit and miss. There was just me and about three other kids that went to my school that were Mormon. And then in my seminary group was about eight people um so there weren't a lot of us spread out kids um but i did go to high school with one other mormon who i who has also since left the church and has we've grown really close um but we didn't really have a lot of controversy or or conflict with other people of either other other faiths or um you know any kind of discrimination or anything like that Mm -hmm. i feel like it was mostly standing out a little bit more like a sore thumb because i you know, dressed a certain way or mm-hmm. didn't swear and, you know, you're, you know, classically your friends want you to swear and uh, you know, they've never heard you swear, or, you know, you, you don't, uh, you don't talk about certain things and you, you know, you're just kind of a little, it seems like a, looking from the outside now, it seems a little bit more of like a mysterious person where you mm-hmm. just, you know, you don't quite get it but like when you're on the inside, you're like, I don't understand why no one gets me. Yeah. Thing. <laughs> the horse girl, we'll go with that. Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> did you uh, go to seminary all four years?
1: I did actually, I did. Um, I attended, yeah, all four years. I think even with the same teachers too. Um, I actually, I was a very, uh, Oh man, it's been a while. I was a very devout Christian. (laughs) Mm. I was, I was a very, uh, strong member Mm. and I really loved to discuss, um, the doctrines and like break things down and do my own outside research and bring it into class and ask a lot of questions and give a lot of answers. And my teacher, my seminary teacher would always say, uh, She'd be she'd ask a question, and then you know we, I'd raise my hand and she'd be like, "Does anyone have the answer except for Anna?" <laughs> <laughs> anyone else want to answer it was that kind of know-it all but uh, very eager to speak and, and mm. share my mind, I suppose.
0: Mm-hmm. And I imagine you were just meeting at someone's house early in the morning.
1: Yeah, actually, there was a like a small upstairs basement. we would come in, we'd park across it was actually we, we parked behind their house. Like in their backyard almost because there was an adjoining neighborhood right there that was another member's house so we'd park at their house walk through their backyard and through the back door through the garage and upstairs immediately into their <laughs> their loft area and it was it completely dedicated for seminary it was just there was a, a snack table and we'd have our copies for our scriptures and. Uh, We'd meet every weekday, except for you know holidays. If if school was canceled, we obviously wouldn't meet. But it wasn't. It was at five a five thirty a.m. every morning. was (laughs) very early (laughs) or six thirty. No, it was at five thirty. Five thirty to six thirty. That's what it was.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like you were very devout. Was like a mission always a part of the game plan for you? Was that something that you were encouraged within the family?
1: Uh, I would say yes and no. My family never put pressure on the women of the family to, to go on missions, but I always felt like, you know, I feel like, I, I did, when I, when I was a teenager and when I was a youth, I struggled a lot with identity and feeling like I wanted to be someone, uh, who stood out more in a, a positive manner instead of feeling like I was kind of the odd one out. Um, and I, I always felt inclined that something, you know, performative like that would would uh, bring me that kind of attention would would help me feel more fulfilled on that side but I think the break like not the breaking point per se but uh the I guess the breaking point is appropriate the breaking point for for really wanting to go on a mission was when my older brother uh got called to serve in Sweden
0: Hmm.
1: Stockholm Sweden and he and I were really close and we talked all the time and we're best 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 friends and he's four years older than me And so one of the nights that he, I think it was his farewell, we sat on the stairwell and just kind of talked and I had a hard time expressing how much I'd missed him. I I would miss him. And I think I started crying and he started crying too, which, you know, he was not a crier, Um, but seeing him cry kind of like opened something up in me and said, like, if this is something you really want to do, like, I want to do it. You know, I want to know what it is that's bringing you like this And, and I already have these other you know uh, motivations so you know let's do it let's get on this train
0: yeah you mentioned um, it was kind of possibly performative so aside from this like emotional experience between your brother was there any sort of spiritual experience or confirmation that you received um, that made you feel like you know a mission was something that you needed to do
1: I think So, so my brother went to Sweden and in, um, he went to Sweden in the summer. And then I went to school that coming fall because I had only turned 18 and I, you know, I wasn't going to be able to go for another year. And, uh, I went to school and I just, I went to school at the other end of Tennessee in Johnson city, the very, 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 very East tip of Tennessee. Like if you look at Tennessee, it's got a point and that's where Johnson city is. Mm -hmm very very small town Uh, but there's a school there called ETSU and it's it's a fairly popular school I gotta say and um, I went out there and I didn't know anyone and I didn't have any friends and I uh, I actually suffer from uh, chronic depression and for me that was when I left the house it was like full exposure like oh suddenly I have no more of my coping methods and Uh, you know, my friends and family, my support network, like I'm just kind of bearing out on my own. And uh, that was really scary. It was a really hard time. And I started seeing a therapist, but I also felt like what was going to help me move through and was encouraged by my church leaders was to study and to pray and to, you know, ask God, what, what was I doing that needed to, what, what direction did I need to receive that was guiding me towards him and, and things like that. And, uh, you know, I, I just, the more I thought about it and the more people I met who uh, kind of pushed me towards, you know, more towards the church, I guess it was more of the the toxic and unhealthy people I met that made me feel like I needed more support and more network in that hard time, uh, made me feel like, oh, I need to go on a mission and I need to teach people that they can have, uh, healthy people in their life too, and support networks. And even though that wasn't something, you know, that literally went through my mind, I just felt like people needed the society that, uh, I had had the support group. Mm -hmm. So I, that following spring, I put in my papers and I didn't get my call until I want to say August, July or August of that following year. So I believe that was 2017. Huh. Mm-hmm.
0: Was your bishop um, and like, you know, your stake president, were they aware of kind of what you were going through in order to maybe uh, alert your mission president and like a counselor in case you needed Or was it something that was just as you mentioned, shrugged off and just, you know, rely on, you know, Christ and the spirit and the scriptures.
1: Yeah, it was, it was pushed more towards the latter on that one. Actually, my, uh, my state president who I had become really close with had me fill out all my mission papers as honestly as I could. And then when he looked at the draft, he told me that I would not be sent on a mission unless he would be able to make some edits. Hmm. So, he actually removed my uh, mental health diagnoses from my application. Kind of swept it under the rug and told me to, uh, you know, to rely on the light and others and rely on my companion and kind of didn't really explain to me why. Mm -hmm. And now I I understand why more, but I still, I kind of feel like that should have been a red flag to me that. Mm -hmm that this is something that that shouldn't have gone down this way, that that my my president should have been alerted to this, Mm -hmm. you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. When you got your call, where did you end up uh, serving?
1: So I got my mission call to the Provo, Utah Mission Spanish-speaking, which surprised everyone because, you know, uh, my entire family has uh, more – foreign missions, my dad served in Italy, my grandmother served in uh, Guatemala, my grandfather served in Germany, my brother was serving in Sweden at the time, so when I when I got a stateside mission, we were all kind of, huh, uh-huh. but I, for me personally, I felt like the Spanish speaking was uh, kind of like, you know, the, the nice part about it, because I really wanted to learn a new language, and I loved learning languages that I had and, uh, you know, and I, I feel like that kind of what, what was what made it made it easier to say, like, you know what, I can do this, because if it had just been, you're going to Utah, I would have been like, ah oh, are you sure? Mm. <laughs> Am I going to Utah? Tell me. <laughs> um,
0: when you actually got out, like in the, the field or even the MTC, did you ever personally, like, um, divulge? of some of the feelings or some of the struggles that you had with the mtc president or your mission president
1: i think i did with my companions um i had this belief that the less i focused on the problem the more it would go away like the less of a problem it would become Mm -hmm. um and that i was bringing unnecessary attention and things like that so i i did my best to kind of keep it under reps But I felt like one, you know, I began struggling because I was not on any kind of medication and didn't have proper coping uh, skills at the time. But uh, I what really brought it out was when other other uh, sisters in the mission began struggling in the the MTC actually began struggling with their own issues of missing home, um, of missing family, of missing their support groups and, you know, that that brought out the, one, it was, you know, a little triggering to to see someone else so upset and remember that I'd just gone through that, you know, mm-hmm. in, in school. And two, like, I wanted to be there for them. I wanted to comfort them. And I I did my best to set aside what I was struggling with to deal with them and to, to help comfort them and to, you know, to make it a better an easier time for them. And a lot of them struggled a lot in the MTC, but I feel like it brought us closer. It made the MTC, honestly, one of the best the best part, actually the best part of my mission. I spent uh, six weeks in the MTC um, for language learning. And I actually, I really enjoyed it. I had a great time, I met a lot of good people, made a lot of good friends. um, And my companion was uh, struggling too with um, hardship in her family, where her parents said, her mother was not kind to her and had been giving her a lot of a hard time, and she had actually gone out on a mission to kind of prove to her mom that she could be the person that her mom was trying to force her to be, and um, by the end of our time together, she kind of seemed to have come to the conclusion that she wanted to go out for herself, even though she knew she could go home, and she didn't have to be there for her mom. She just felt like that's what she wanted to do for herself, and it gave me hope, too, because I felt like, know and shelving my own problems that they'd never be fixed and and I kind of felt like oh you know what if I just go and jump into it (laughs) if I go and jump into it I'll I'll be I'll be fine I'll be healed I'll be I'll be uh I'll be able to look past these symptoms and (laughs) Uh once again shelve it further.
0: (laughs) Uh
1: Mm -hmm. Now you
0: mentioned the MTC was the best part which leads me to Mm -hmm. assume that the field was was not very enjoyable for you Um, so kind of what uh, were your first impressions um, getting out there what were some of your initial um, kind of struggles and obstacles
1: well I think um, the biggest part for me was just that feeling of helplessness of just feeling like oh my gosh there's so much to learn I'm so overwhelmed And for me in the MTC, our teachers had really, really, really focused on learning the language. So when I got out to the field and uh, they wanted us to start reciting lessons right away, I felt so immediately inadequate because that was not something that we've been told that we needed to learn. And, you know, there's so many memorizations that we hadn't picked up or anything like that but I <laughs> it was kind of funny because I felt like though I spoke better Spanish than a lot of the girls that had been there for a lot longer but they they knew the lessons so it it worked well in in, in tandem but on our own we both you know we all kind of struggled with our things <laughs> yeah. but initially though my initial impressions of the mission itself um was that it was very focused and driven um our mission president really pushed for, for uh, convert and to baptize and teaching people lessons that they would remember. And that's something that, uh, you know, I felt confident in because I had always felt like when I was able to sit down with someone one-on-one, I'd be able to establish a communication or a, sorry, a connection is what I meant. Um, with them, that they would be able to hear me, and I, I've always felt kind of like that—that that I've been able to be an empathetic person, that I'm able to hear and speak to someone a little more directly. But uh, when it came to learning, you know, this this structure and this this frame uh, for how to guide lessons and, and uh, how to how to teach and baptize, I just felt like it was completely, you know, <laughs> completely out of. Uh, reach something I could never do but you know I felt like I could I could bear testimony and, and support but I never felt like I was going to be able to lead you know as a, in a companionship
0: mm-hmm. were your companions supportive at all was this something that you like expressed to anybody um
1: so that's actually the main reason that my mission didn't go so well is my trainer my very first trainer was uh immediately off put by the fact that i didn't know the lessons and she really seemed to depend on her companion being able to back her up but the biggest struggle of my mission was how that one missionary treated me and i was with her for two months so for half her for, for a third of my mission um because i only served for six months including the mtc i was with her for two months and Throughout our time, she was so demeaning and degrading and verbally abusive that I still deal with a lot of those scars with having a hard time hearing certain phrases because I'll flinch. I I don't want to hear that again. And and it really started with just being so ready and, and so willing to learn anything and to do anything. And that's not what went wrong, what went wrong was I was paired up with someone who wasn't able to teach well, to teach someone well, and wasn't emotionally capable of being there for someone who was struggling other than herself and even not there for herself. And and uh, it, you know, it gets really heavy and, and she was not a kind person. And she really pushed on me that I needed to do better. I needed to do better. I needed to do better. I needed to be better. I needed to look better. I needed to, you know, so many times a day she would tear into me after every single encounter she'd turn to me and go what did you do wrong and I hated hearing that what did I do wrong and then I have to think and I usually flub and I I wouldn't know like what did I do wrong I did my best I've done everything that you've told me to do and here I am not able to think of what I could have done better and then she'd pull something out of you know, out of her back pocket and say, no, this is what you need to do better. You're not looking at them in the eyes enough. You're not speaking well enough. And and here's a girl who was struggling with her Spanish and who had also dealt with a very abusive mother and had not had much freedom in her life. So I, I understand where she was coming from, but in no way do I tolerate that kind of behavior of just constant harsh language negativity. And it, it, bore me down because I believed that what she was saying to me was the truth, that the ways that she was talking to me was right and was what God had ordained for me to be able to find that happiness I had so sought when I when I initially decided to enter the mission, that, that this was supposed to be some, some grand scheme and some part of a so part of learning to become a, a fantastic missionary. And I remember so much in detail the nights where I would just wait until I could hear her breathe deeply in her sleep. And I would just start weeping silently too, because I, I knew when she could hear me, she would complain about it to mm-hmm. me. She wouldn't tell anyone else, but she would uh, tell me, you know, that, that, uh, I needed to suck it up and to deal with it on my own, in my own personal time. And I, like, of course, had no other personal time. And, and it was a you know, really heartbreaking time for me. It was a really hard time to be uh, alive. I honestly found myself wanting to just not exist. I felt so degraded and just shredded down to my core. Mm-hmm. I became, I'd worked so hard to become someone I wasn't learning all these skills and perfect memorization, and amazing Spanish and connecting with people. And I never felt like I could do anything better, Uh, even though, you know, I had become a better technical missionary even than her. And and I don't mean that as a brag, but rather as as an observation. It it was uh, a very trying time, a very, very rough time in my life.
0: Yeah, that sounds horrible. I'm so sorry you had to go through that
1: no Um, it's not something i'd recommend for anyone
0: (laughs) um just kind of like knowing what you know now um if you could go back what would you do differently
1: i've actually so since then i've started therapy and even even after that i uh i started seeing even in the mission i started seeing a mission therapist and an occurring theme that came up later in, in therapy uh, after my mission was just, what would you do or what would you say if you could be back back there with yourself? If you could sit with her, that crying girl, what would you say to her? What would you do with her? Who would you, if you could do anything, who would you ask for help from? Who would, you, you know, very open-ended questions. And I, I feel like that stumped me at first, but it's taken a lot of time to think and say that, you know, I'd ask me to leave. Mm -hmm. You can't, you can't do that. You can't, people are not allowed to treat you that way. And when they do, it's not your fault. Don't eat that. Don't, if someone, you know, pours mud in your lap, are you going to sit there? You know, if if someone you don't know comes up and hits you, you know, you're going to say something and, and be something. But the problem with abuse is that, it starts so small and you don't even realize when you're in the thick of it, what it is. And I, I just feel like I, if I could do anything, I just go back and hold myself and just whisper that and just say, it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's hard now, but where I am now, I, I can say that, you know, it's, it's worth it to stand up for yourself, you know, or worth it to say no. And, and that's actually, that's exactly what happened is one day, I woke up and I knew it was the weirdest feeling. I knew I was done. I knew I couldn't take it anymore. That I had felt so much darkness and anger and hurt and and tears and I just felt like I hit the bottom of the barrel, you know, with my cup. I was emptying out a barrel of, of water and it just hit the bottom. I knew I was done and I looked at her and I decided that it was time for an emergency transfer mm. then you know as soon as possible and we talked to our she was surprised and did not want to go through with it and I talked to my my sister training leaders and they had actually spoken to me a little bit about it before and kind of I guess they were the ones who more or less put that idea in my head as they knew that she wasn't treating me well and I knew she wasn't treating me well at the time, but they weren't the ones to be able to make a decision. And I finally up and said, you know what? Fuck it. Like we're, we're doing this. I can't be with you and be alive and happy and anything that I was before this. I can't do this. And I, we had a, uh, we had a, a mission uh, meeting, like a mission-wide meeting that night. It was just, it was in January. So I left my mission in September and left from the MTC, uh, in November, I believe, and I was with her from January, from, from December through Christmas, New Year's and into January. And in January, I just realized I couldn't do it. And, uh, that night we talked to, we sat down with the mission president. He took us in one at a time. First, he spoke with us together and told us what his expectations were for the meeting. Uh, and then he took us uh, individually and asked us about what was going on in our companionship and, and what what needed to happen. And uh, he took her in and sat her down and she came out crying and upset. And uh, I went in and I sat down and he asked me, you know, what's going on? Like, this is the first time I'm hearing about you guys having problems. What's going on? And I said, uh, sir, the way she's treating me is you know, is not okay. This isn't okay. And and uh, now that I'm talking about it a little more, I do remember actually that she and I had spoken about it previously several times that she gave no encouragement, that she never had a kind word to say to me. And it was just constant, a beat down. And um, I told him, I said, sir, I don't, I don't like the way she treats me. I don't think I can continue to work with her. And uh, I think I even said, I think she might be abusing me and he just fumed and came down on me with all this wrath and told me that I couldn't possibly be right, that this was one of the most righteous missionaries in the mission and that, that I was just unhappy and unwilling and complainative and just tore into me. And I said, I I can't do this. I need a transfer, or I'm going home tonight. And he, you know, kind of kicked me out of the room so he could speak with his his wife. Um, And uh, then he brought us both back in and tried to bring us to an understanding, where he would have her speak and list her problems, and then I would confirm with her what she had said. And then when it was my turn, and I explained to her the way she was, what exactly she was doing that was wrong and, and what she needed to do to change and she came to confirm and she just blinked like she had not been there that conversation like she didn't care and didn't want to be there and had no idea like just completely in denial of of uh, anything I'd said just not there for me and uh, I feel like that's kind of what it was the mission presence wife who decided I saw it in her eyes she looked at me and nodded. I knew she was going to approve the transfer and she was going to convince him to because he was not having it. And uh, we both left the room and the the sister, my companion at the time, looked at me and told me I'd ruined her mission. And uh, I just sat there and kind of, you know, this grim feeling just of, you know, this had to be done. I I knew it had to be done. And we came in and back in and they had approved the transfer and Mission president was very upset and told me that he'd only approved three emergency transfers before in his time as mission president, and that this would be extremely diff- extremely disappointing. And uh, but I just knew, you know, that this was right. And um, I I went to a new mission to a new mission. I'm sorry to a new area with a sister that I'd met before. And uh, for two months after that, I dealt with severe toxic stress where I would just start crying for no reason. I was depressed. I was unmotivated. I was hypervigilant. I was on edge at all times, couldn't slow down my brain. And was just, you know, I, I had felt so much relief in leaving her, but I felt like all of the problems that I had built up while being with her for two months, you know, hadn't left at all. I, I was hearing her voice almost. I was having nightmares and uh, just depressed. And I, I met another sister who had had a hard time with serious depression and she found that most days she couldn't leave the apartment. And her companion was really struggling because her companion was a very much a go-getter, a very energetic person and was pushing her to go out more. And, and the thing about depression is the more someone pushes, the less you're inclined <laughs> to do it. And uh, the sister, the depressed sister and I bonded and we became really good friends and really close and she would express you know how she was feeling and I would express to her what had gone on during that day and you know and uh, we became close and I, I remember that we started to um, talk about our home lives and uh, more and more and then kind of came to the realization that you know we weren't supposed to be there anymore it was it was time for us to go home. We were struggling and no contributions and the people around us were negatively impacted. And, and honestly, we both felt like burdens. We just, you know, we didn't feel like we belonged anymore. And, and we just decided and we had prayed and gone to the temple and fasted and all, you know, all the steps and decided it was time to, to go home. And, and she lives in, um, oh, my brain is just completely farted it's not idaho she lives in the northwest and i lived in tennessee so it was hard for us to part we we honestly hadn't been friends for very long but we felt like we had gone you know swam the ocean together it was uh difficult to say goodbye and it, honestly it was it was very meaningful because we both left at the same time and parting was tears and you know quick goodbye because they got to get you to your plane quick <laughs> but uh that was a uh, you know it was a really a really memorable experience, even though I I felt like I was so emotionally distant and disassociative that I felt like I wasn't there. I remember how hard it was to say goodbye to the one person that had, you know, I'd come out of that experience close to that I felt like was, a, you know, a notable time.
0: Are y'all still in contact at all? Like now after the mission?
1: No, not as much. Um, After the mission, we would regularly call each other and talk about our days and especially adjusting home, back to home life after mission life. Uh, It really helped to have someone that I could vent to who understood exactly what I meant Mm -hmm. Uh, when I said that I I had a hard time living without a schedule and, uh, you know, that I, I felt like I didn't know what to do with my days and uh we're we're not so close anymore it's been a it's been a long time since we've you know gotten together but uh we did eventually go to school together at byu idaho um in 20 2018 let me think yep because i was funny it had to be 2018 so that we came home in march and then Come September, August, September, we both applied and got into BYU Idaho. Hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that is uh, the weird thing. Like, you're, you can form these very close knit bonds with people, like, when you're actually in the mission field. And then you come home and you see those same people, and just that, I don't know, that connection's just lost. Like, you really just, yeah. I've drifted apart from pretty much everybody that i knew oh, yeah, other than those who have also left the church um i've interviewed a couple of those guys we we chat every now and then but yeah that was something that really was bizarre to me as well and kind of reinforces just how traumatic missions can be because it's almost like you guys were soldiers and you know in combat together and that's why yeah. you're so close and then but that was really the only connection that you had
1: I totally not it was It was almost too that we both wanted to forget it had happened. And so we were close while we were dealing with, you know, direct symptoms and and with the immediate trauma. But as as time became, you know, as time started to close those wounds, we just kind of drifted our own ways. And uh, honestly, you know, it's funny that you bring up the analogy of a soldier because that's exactly what it was like. Uh, I went home in March, like I said, and uh, I started just collapsing in on myself. I was so emotionally distraught and broken up that, you know, I couldn't function, I'd just start crying, and I'd cry for hours, and I couldn't figure out why I was crying, or what was going on with me, and I, I just felt like I was spinning out of control, that nothing was in my hands anymore, maybe leaving was the wrong choice, or all of these these doubts and fears plagued my mind. My, my parents actually suggested that I go to a therapist, a trauma therapist, And I did. And she was uh, honestly a lifesaver because I was, you know, dealing with a lot of dark thoughts at the time and um, didn't feel like I wanted to be here anymore and uh, started seeing her. And she was able to kind of spark that light in me a little bit again by encouraging me and asking questions about what had happened to me and, and, and what I'd been through. And um, she diagnosed me with, with PTSD and, you know, and post-traumatic stress disorder is something that most to all soldiers come home with and they have a, a, a difficult time adjusting back to their lives like a mission and um, you have a lot of traumatic flashbacks, you have nightmares, you have a lot of triggers that, you know, hearing a sound or smelling a smell will, will bring you back to that moment where you were when you needed to be using fight or flight and um, you're in this moment in your house smelling, you, you sniffed a candle that was in some church member's bathroom that you felt like was a safe haven, and you smell it, and you feel that shock run through your body, and your brain says, get out of here, you're not safe, you're not safe, run, 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 go, 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 and you you panic, and you, or you freeze, or, you, you know, it's, it's such a hard thing to to break away from, and, and having, having that therapist who was able to identify my reactions and recommend coping strategies and practice them with me um was honestly the point that i needed to be able to stand on my own feet again i had no skills to deal with the storm that was raging around me and uh, just realizing that i could say to myself hey this isn't actually what's happening to you anymore you're not there you're not there you're here you're smelling that and you're remembering that but it's just a memory and I was able to like come back from it. You know, it, it took a while before those those flashbacks would would wind down. Uh, you know, it's it wasn't an instantaneous thing where I would just, oh, I remember where I am, but rather a, oh, that's right. I'm I'm in the bathroom at home. Uh I'm still feeling really upset right now, but it's just a candle, isn't it? And I start feeling the things around me and I, you know, feel the carpet under my toes or the the vent blowing on my face and and slowly it took sometimes minutes or hours or uh, it took time to come back to where I was and to say hey you know you're you're gonna be okay you're not there anymore it's not where you are it's not your reality you're safe and um, I guess honestly that's one of the biggest things that I've you know I want to advocate and one of the reasons I reached out to the Mm -hmm. channels just if I could speak to anyone who felt like that, like I did where you feel like nothing could possibly fix where you are right now, there's nothing ever going to happen to you good again. If you're feeling like you have depression and anxiety and PTSD and all these traumas that there's a way out, you don't ever expect it either. And it might not be from the people around you or, the actions you choose to go down, the routes you choose to go down. And healing is a very vicious process because you have to address the things you're feeling and you have felt and you will, will feel, but it's never, I've never found anything more worth it. I, I can say that it was the hardest thing I've ever done, harder than dealing with that trauma in the initially uh, was bringing it back up you know, because your body's meant to just your, your brain's wired to stuff that stuff down and to, to kind of quiet it a little bit more so that you're able to, to focus on new challenges. Um, And the reason why it brings that, that you back to that moment where, you know, where you first felt that trauma is because it's trying to fight, you know, a, a new fight or flight, which it's trying to identify as the same thing. And it's not, it's just trying to protect you. And, you know, it's hard to work against yourself, but it's worthwhile, you know, speak to yourself, cry if you need to, breathe, don't breathe, if they, that's what gets you out of it, you know, just feeling, you know, do what you need to do, but take care of yourself as best you can, do what little you can until you're where I am, you know, until you're able to look back and say, holy, holy hell, that was, that was a nightmare. But I don't experience nightmares like that anymore. I had so many nightmares about going back to my mission and seeing those people and, and being chained even to that missionary who broke me down. Um, I don't have those nightmares anymore. And I'm able to talk about it now. I wasn't able to talk about it then without crying or panic attacks or, uh, you know, even breaking down into just hiccups or silence. You know, I, it's a long, long, hard journey and it's, it's so hard to put into words even now that i've healed from it because i i just can't possibly shape what enormous you know darkness i felt i can't put that into words i can't express that but uh you know that it's it's gonna be okay there's gonna be an okay and maybe it's not yet but if you believe there's an okay you know what to look for and you know you might not know what the okay feels like but you, it's something you will know when you see it and little bit by bit, the more you pursue it, more of it is in your life. And uh, you know, it took a long time. I I went to school. I, uh, that's the story of how I got back to Mesa, uh, or got to Mesa, I've never lived in Arizona, but my sister was living out here, going to school. And I was at BYU-Idaho struggling with my mental health again. Uh, I'd been there first semester, and my sister invited me to come down to Arizona uh, for Christmas, and I just wasn't happy where I was anyway. And I said, "You know what? Let's let's make a trip." And I did. And and the beautiful uh, winter Arizona air—it's it's in the 60s and 70s even now. Uh, in the winters, it doesn't get cold, and it's it's so breezy and fresh air and. Versus the two feet of snow I was dealing with up in Idaho, you know, it was such a drastic change. Something signaled to me that, you know, that I was a lot less happy than I realized. And that if I wanted to move to Arizona, this would be a good idea because this is the kind of place that that feeling I recognized was. And uh, I was still very devout Mormon. going to the temple regularly and attending church when I could because I felt sometimes that that was a, a hard expression and a hard action to take. And um, I ended up just saying, you know what, let's do it. And I, I moved. Uh, I made them jump right after New Year's. I moved in with my sister and my grandmother. And uh, my sister had left the church years and years before. And um, I spoke with her and she kind of brought some hard facts down on me about church history and things that I had kind of that I had known about but had shelved um and she was able to to teach me about expressing myself and (laughs) I honestly think that swearing (laughs) that swearing was like the the thing that I needed you know I I dealt with so much abuse and trauma and uh and no self-expression except for how I'm feeling and what I'm doing it was such a like never be on the offense kind of you know, a uh, passive way of life that when I suddenly felt like I had the power to speak words that made people listen and, and jump up and, and get angry, I felt like I suddenly had the right to get angry. And that's kind of what boiled the pot over and said, you know what, I'm going to stand on my own two feet. I don't want to go to church anymore. The people there don't treat me well. I have had a really bad experience and mission trauma every day. Every time I go there, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to wear short shorts. I want to uh, look at myself in the mirror and smile. I want, to, I want to have sexual relations before marriage. I want to know what all this means. And uh, that was the beginning of 2019. And uh, I met my current partner, that following march and uh my sister and I became really really close because she was the black sheep of the family she left the church and you know she had uh, kind of gone her own way and our parents had had uh, ridiculed her for it and used her as an example for what we should never be and which was so unjust because you know she's such a sweet and so smart person that um you know that that closing the door on family for you know in the way that she couldn't open it back you know telling my siblings that that uh she was the big bad example you know shutting them off from her was you know' it's, it just sounds like it was so heartbreaking i'm I'm not there for her but I've heard her express it I'm not there for her I am there for her. i'm not I'm not express experiencing that with her I didn't experience it with her but Uh, now that I've left the church too I know what that feels like more and more Um, but my sister and I became so close and she graduated from ASU um, and I got a job with her she got a job before I did sorry she got me a job that's what (laughs) I mean to say she got me a job here and I met my current partner and then uh, at the end of 2019 my partner and I moved in together and then we weathered 2020 with each other and that brought us really close and has honestly brought out you know kind of what feels like the last of my my serious bits of trauma where I'm living with an, a person who's dedicated to to being with me and that that dedication of being alone you know of, of not having someone who speaks harshly with me and not being with someone who makes me feel bad about myself but rather someone who, who encourages me with such a an, an odd experience to me so unusual but I you know I love it I I adore him I, I want to spend a long time with him but uh you know it, it's come a long ways from I've come a long ways from that girl in 2017 who just wanted to know who she was and why she didn't feel good all the time and wanted to impress her family and wanted to be something more than uh, than she felt she was I feel like I've, you know, I've come a long ways from being a very dedicated Mormon and, and sharing the strongest testimony and, and uh, studying scriptures and kneeling down every night that uh, I was never happy then. That now that I'm not doing any of those things that I wish so heavily ingrained in my head that that were supposed to make me happy now that I'm not doing any of those things, I've never been happier. And I'm experiencing things well. I'm bringing art into my life. I'm meeting people. My social anxiety has gone down. I've medicated and treated my uh, depression to the point where I'm not threatened by it. And uh, I, I can honestly say I'm, I'm happy. I'm doing good. I'm doing a lot better than, uh, than I was. And, you know, and I, I really hope the same for anyone who's dealing with the same stuff or even something that just relates to it. You know?
0: Yeah. No, that's awesome. I'm really glad to hear that. You know, and um, whenever possible, I love to kind of end on a positive high note.
1: Mm -hmm. Um,
0: So I don't even want to ask any questions that could lead us down (laughs) a dark path. I have the questions. I don't want to ask them. And we are close to that 60-minute mark. Um, So just kind of on a – ending on a high note, Anna, is there any – you know, final advice that you would want to share with someone regardless of where they are in their journey? Is there a fun anecdote that you want to share, something positive, a, a, a major takeaway? No. It's, it's all on you right now. The pressure is high. What do you
1: got? <laughs> I've never been much of a comedian. <laughs> um, I gotta say that, you know, I feel like the best thing I can say for anyone. Like I said, anyone who's relating to this in any way, whether they know exactly what I've been through and say, oh, that was me, or if they just kind of feel vaguely like, you know, I I might be able to understand from from distant experiences. I, I think if I could say anything to anyone, just speak to yourself. Tell yourself it's gonna be okay. Even when you don't believe it, even when nothing suggests otherwise, even if you're broken down in life where you you don't feel like there's any way else to go i i just that's the only thing that kept me here was it's going to be okay and you're on proof it's it's going to be okay and if you speak to yourself and, and listen to yourself you can find that same kind of place for yourself to to be positive and to you know, I can't say I can speak for everyone's experiences because there's a lot more going on in the world and in people's lives that aren't dealing with as much privilege as I do. But I, I honestly do believe in, in you know, and in, in vaguely in a, a power of optimism of uh, moving forward when there's, you know, in the face of defeat of just keep going, you got this. You can do anything and everything.
0: Well said. well said. Well said. Well said. Well said, Anna. Uh, thank you. You know, thank you for for reaching out and and for coming and sharing your story, for being vulnerable. Um, I know I definitely was able to relate to a lot of your story um, mm-hmm. with companionship abuse. I know a lot of other people, for sure, have uh, have encountered that, and yeah. hopefully this can be you know cathartic for for all of those, I can relate, but um, yeah, you know, I don't want to hold you up too long again. Thank you, <laughs> thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing yeah. and this will, this will go out pretty soon. So I'll send you the link and hopefully, uh, you know,
1: Yeah, you I, I really appreciate the opportunity. I feel like it's kind of been something that's bubbling in there for me that I just yeah. I want to help who I can and, you know, maybe I can't help people personally and individually, but, I could say anything, you know, this is an excellent way. Like, thank you for providing this platform. And I, I really do believe that, uh, you know, that this is able to, to help people and that you're doing a good thing here. So thank you. Really. Hey, thank you.
0: Hey, it's, it's been a, it's been a pleasure so far. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's done me a lot of good as well. So, you know, not to be totally selfish it's all it's all about me and my <laughs> my healing guys you No, know, but it has been fun and i i'm um, I glad that uh people are you know getting some sort of benefit out of it
1: No, yeah, and I, I look forward to to hearing more episodes on the show i honestly you know i only ran into it pretty recently but i've definitely liked what i've heard and, and hearing other people's experiences like like you said it's brought me good and brought me healing so thank you i do appreciate that
0: awesome well i don't think we can uh, end on a much higher note than this anna
1: i do agree
0: (laughs) um, so i hope you uh, enjoy the rest of your night and moving forward don't be a stranger i'll reach out to you and i'd love to check some more
1: absolutely thank you so much
0: all right awesome thank you bye focal point podcast for the focal point cinema and sound company